Hello guys, welcome back to the Talk Crystal Palace podcast. My name is Ollie. The Premier League season is well and truly back on the way. We've gone from zero football to basically two games a week. Since the last podcast, we've played twice. We've won twice, which I will not be getting used to, but I'll certainly be hoping for in the near future a good 3-1 win against Villa and through to the next round of the Carabao Cup after beating Oxford United 2-0 last night. Um... It's an important time of the season for the current squad, the potential squad, shall we say, and working out how we're going to look moving forward, which we'll we'll get into uh, as the podcast goes on. But first of all, let's talk about Villa at home. Um, I'm going to caveat what I'm about to say with Villa were awful. Um, I think it's really interesting that they have such a good squad and they were so bad. I think that's really damning on... Stevie G, um, a man who I was very pro getting at Palace and I am glad to say that I was wrong. I got the wrong legendary Premier League central midfielder, but I'm glad Palace picked the right one. Um, I think old Palace teams would have gone 1-0 down and we would have lost that game 2 or 3-0. To react the way we did was not only really promising from a mental perspective, but I thought that quality-wise, like all of the goals were, well, okay, let's ignore the pen. The first two goals were of a really high quality um, and adding to the one we scored against Liverpool, it showed that we are a good team. We scored three very good goals um, and a not so good goal this season. Um, really, really fantastic finish from Will for the first goal. I think that that is as good, if not better, than the finish against Liverpool, dare I say. Um, and the third goal was just chef's kiss, mate, and a thing of absolute beauty. Lovely link-up and one of the best crosses I've ever seen a Palace player put in, full stop. Um, like Papa Suarez versus Arsenal in his debut kind of cross. Real ones will remember that. Uh, and a really, really good finish by JP, um, who had looked really rusty against Arsenal and in pre-season. So uh, I'm glad to see that he's hopefully on the comeback trail um, a bit um, and then the other striker scoring against Oxford United yesterday, lovely through ball from Schlupp to put him in. Um, and then a Luca penalty special to see. As I said, two wins in the space of, what, four days, which is a really, really good sign. Um, but one thing I want to talk about, a kind of glaring storyline, if you like, from the two games is both Eddie and Mateta scoring. Uh, both scoring kind of different type of striker goals. Um, and my thoughts on who's going to get the nod this season, because I feel like, We've got options, really. You know, you've got three options in that in that camp. You've got Edward to start every game. You've got Mateta to start every game, or you've got alternate between the two. Alternate between the two is not something which is kind of typically done by teams like us. Um, but I think there's a strong case for doing that, um, and I'm going to get into my thoughts on that little mini debate right now. If you'd said to me at the beginning of last season. Um, in August 2022, you'll be debating who's going to start up front, Alton Edouard or Jean-Philippe Mateta. I would have laughed at you. But here we are. The Mateta comeback trail is is still going. Uh, it's not even a comeback trail anymore. It's just a, a Mateta full steam ahead. He wants to be starting number nine trail. Um, and maybe it's a little indicative also of Edouard's impact or lack of impact at Palace so far. Um Edouard seems to be first choice, dare I say. Uh, he started two games this season, uh, came on as well against Liverpool. Mateta has come on twice and started in the Cup. So, you know, if you look at that in isolation, it very much looks like Edouard is first choice this season. But, of course, the fact that Mateta has got the only Premier League goal between the two of them this season and also Mateta was very much first choice in the second half of last season kind of leaves things up to debate. Now, 
Let's look at the stats first of all. Uh, rather conveniently at the time of recording this, they have played exactly the same amount of Premier League games, which is really useful. Uh, at least appearances as well. I'm sure that Edward is probably more lean, more starts um, than, than Mateta. They both played 31 Premier League games. Mateta has more goals, seven goals um, <coughs> to Edward's six. Edward has four assists to Mateta's one, um, which is very... I think you could guess that. Goals per match, Mateta is leading. Minutes per goal, Mateta is beating uh, Edouard by nearly a full game. He's beating him by 84 minutes. Despite the fact Edouard has had more shots, uh, Mateta has had more shots on target. But both those stats are very, very close. Again, the fact that I think Mateta has played fewer minutes, it's impressive to see that he's had nearly as many shots and more shots on target than our man, Eddie. Um, just looking through now, the team play, Eduardo said more assists, more big chances created, more passes, better pass completion. Um, generally, in that, in that category, he's a lot better, but Mateta has been dispossessed more. And statistically, Mateta is, you might be surprised to hear, is a better dribbler, despite the fact on the eye test, uh, he really doesn't appear that way. Um, as I said, Ed, uh, Edward, more minutes played, more matches started. Um, but in terms of, you know, the, the goal scoring stuff, Mateta is winning that battle. Um, which is, I think you could guess that watching them. I think that's the stats test. The stats kind of tell you that Edward is maybe a better rounded striker, maybe better at link up play, whereas Mateta is a better goal scorer. Um, and I think that the last nine months would probably tell you that without having to look at the stats. I am I'm of the opinion with these two that Edward makes us a better team in some ways. Now, that's not to say that Mateta doesn't make us a better team, but there's just something about watching Palace with Edward where we just look more cohesive. I think he gets the best out of Wilf, and I think he also, although it's a very small sample size, gets the best out of Eze. I think the way those three were linking up was really promising against Villa. I think Edward link, uh, dropping deep, looking for those passes to find those two, quick, quick movement. I think he's a little more skillful, or actually a lot more skillful, and more ambitious on the ball in terms of what he tries to do, which makes us overall just a more threatening team going forward. You know, the fact that he can play on the wing kind of backs that up. I think him and Wilf can kind of interchange a bit more. He's comfortable going out wide. He's comfortable dropping deep. He's comfortable running in behind. I think that with him up front, we just look better. And I know that's a very vague thing to say and also a very subjective thing to say. Um, But that's kind of why I like Eddie up front in games like Villa. Now, the thing with Mateta is, I think only he scores the third goal. I don't think Edouard scores that. I don't think he's in the position to receive that cross. What Mateta offers is... 1 million percent effort. Now, this isn't to say that Edouard doesn't try. In fact, Edouard, if you look at press, uh, pressures, etc., he's a better presser than Mateta. But Mateta throws everything at crosses. He, he is absolutely desperate to score a goal every game where I don't, I don't necessarily get the impression that Edouard is. Um, and I think for games where we're going to be up against a low block and up against teams who are happy for us to swing the ball in and not going to give us space on the edge of the box. I think Mateta is the better option. I also think he's the more natural goal scorer. Like I think he has a bit of a reputation as kind of some lumbering target man who's very limmy and a bit of a donkey, just purely from an aesthetic perspective. But 
He's had some really, really good finishes in his time at Palace so far. The one against Norwich last year uh, in the home game was brilliant. He's got a lovely chip, which is offside in the away game as well. His goal against Everton with his left peg in the cup. He's really good on both feet, Mateta. And opportunistic as well. The one against Arsenal really springs to mind. And the one on Saturday against um, against Villa was also a really good finish. So in a dream world, they play together. Obviously, we are amazingly in a position as a club at the moment where we don't have space to play Eduardo Mateta together. Imagine, again, telling me that two or three years ago. If we had a game, if we had a cup final tomorrow, I would play Eduard. Um, but I think a competition for places is really, really good that those two... There is no clear first choice and that's a good thing, I think, for a club like us that they're both young strikers with a point to prove and if they can get the best out of each other, then having those two very different options is not necessarily a bad thing at all. As I said, I think for now, Edouard will get the nod. I think the fact he scored against Oxford, I know it's only Oxford, will be a big confidence boost for him. I'm pretty sure he hadn't scored in 13 appearances before that. But he just needs a run of games, as every striker does. And we saw Mateta benefited, benefited from that last season. He was getting minutes and he was getting better with every single game it appeared. Um, and now we have Mateta in the state he is. And Edouard, on the other hand, in and out of the team, all across the front three, starting some games off and then no consistency. And I think he suffered as a result. I personally hope that we persevere with Eddie because I think he's overall the better player. I think he has a higher ceiling than Mateta. But I also do not want this to become the Odson Edward show where Mateta is sat warming benches in games where he can make a difference. I don't think that will happen. Um, I think Vieira so far has managed the situation quite well. But in my opinion, we need to back a striker. There needs to be a clear first choice. And I think we're giving Edward that chance now. Obviously, if he doesn't take it, we give it to Mateta. And I feel like Mateta, you kind of know what you're going to get with him on a game-by-game basis. He's solid. He'll want to score goals, but he is limited in some aspects. Edouard, I feel like it's just exciting, isn't he? He's the kind of player who, at his best, is a really, really, really good player. And I feel like Mateta maybe isn't. And maybe that's harsh. But in that debate, I'm thinking Edouard is, is maybe better for the team. And he also gets the best out of Wilf and Eze, which is so, so important. And on the subject of Eze, let's talk about the midfield. Now, I think I said in the last podcast that in our best midfield, Decore and Eze have to start. And that third person has to accommodate them. Now, I made a shout for Will Hughes, who I still think will have a role to play this season. Uh, you know, when fixtures pile up a bit, he could obviously play either in that kind of like deeper number six role or in that eight role a little bit further forward. I was critical of Schlupp. um after Arsenal. And I was fairly convinced, to be honest, that him and Eze... Wouldn't work together. But against Oxford, I'm reliably told that he changed the game when he came on. Obviously set up uh, Edward with a lovely through ball. And against Villa, I think there was a slight tactical change, which I got the impression that Schlupp was doing what another midfielder would do in that role. Rather than being Schlupp in terms of lots of ball carrying, I don't know, maybe sometimes a little reluctant to do the dirty work in midfield. He was there to accommodate Eze primarily and then showcase his abilities when the chance came and I thought against Villa he was much better and I think often if you don't notice Schlupp in midfield sometimes that's a good thing because he can often stick out in my opinion as someone who's a little lazy someone who sometimes can appear a bit pedestrian um but against Villa he was need those things he should have had a goal as well and 
it was very interesting to see that he he actually, in my opinion, had thrived in that role. Uh, kind of against Liverpool, definitely against Villa, and again, by the sounds of things, against Oxford. Do I think he's the answer in that central midfield role long term? I'm still not sold on it. I think that he's not a central midfielder, really. Like, he can play there to a very good standard, but... I'm not sure I would want him there for a, for a full season. He's similar to Mateta in a way. Like I think there's definitely games where he can thrive there. He can be amazing in that role and he can offer us a lot across the space of a season. But I don't think I want to rely on him all year round. Um, and I do think that we will be in for a central midfielder before the end of the transfer window. Um, which brings me on to my, my next point, kind of. I think that Schlupp... Right now is the best option we have now that MacArthur's injured. Um, and I think that needs to change, really. I mean, we obviously can't rely on James MacArthur all season. You know, you don't want Luka Milivojevic getting too many minutes, with all due respect to him. Although, as I said, I think he's been good since he's, when he's played this year. We're a midfielder, sure. And I think the midfielder we'll get is probably someone who will start. Um, meaning Schlupp can be an option, maybe off the left as well. Left back, maybe. Um, versatile player who can slot in where needed. Who is that central midfielder going to be? I hear you asking. Now, I think we can pretty safely narrow it down to two people. Um, Conor Gallagher being one of them and Bubakari Samari from Leicester being the other. I'm I'm relatively confident we will get one of those two in. Now, I'm also relatively confident through for a variety of reasons that we are waiting for 100% confirmation on Gallagher. As I said last podcast, that is our priority target. Rumours are circulating more and more and more now. I think after maybe a slightly disappointing performance from Gallagher against Leeds in a role which is not his best position. I think with a World Cup looming, is Gallagher going to want to take the risk of potentially being semi-frozen frozen out of Chelsea? I don't think he will. Um, and I think that he'll be allowed to leave on loan. I don't think they'll sell him permanently, in my opinion. I think they'd be silly to do that. Uh, and I don't think any club would pay the money that they would be demanding, which is probably upwards of £40 million at this point. I think that he'll be allowed to leave on loan at the, at, in this window. And I'm pretty confident that... Here's my number one deadline day prediction for the podcast. I'm pretty confident that on deadline day, Conor Gallagher will join Palace on loan. I think if he joins anyone on loan, it would definitely be us. I think if he joins someone on a permanent... It will probably be West Ham or Newcastle. Newcastle is maybe a more attractive footballing long-term option. West Ham closer to home. He's very family-orientated. We'll we'll see what happens in that sense. But I think Conor Gallagher will join the Palace on loan before the end of the window. I'm putting it out there right now, that energy. I think Samari, as I said on the, the Palace Way podcast, which uh, I'm not sure when it's being released. We recorded it on Monday. Samari, to me, screams of a, of a target who we had previously, um, who Leicester beat us to last season, completely fair enough, and has now come back on the market for a potentially cut-price deal. And I, I think we will only get him if we think we can get him for lower than what we valued him last year, if that makes sense. Um, I don't think we're going to make him a primary target. I think he kind of is an opportunistic one, similar to Ebuwe, similar to Plange as well, similar to Elise. He's a signing who we've identified. Here's a player with a lot of potential and a lot of talent. He is available for cheaper than we think he should be. Let's go and get him. Leicester need the money. He's not getting game time there soon. And I can really see us, if we miss out on Gallagher, pushing hard on that. And I think even if that was to be a last-minute deal, 
we can still get something good from there because Leicester are keen to get rid. So they're keen to get rid. We know that he's not our primary target, but we would also really like him. So I think we could get a good deal out of that. And look, there's obviously a player in there. The guy was signed by Leicester a couple of summers ago. And like, let's not forget how good Leicester were back then. He was a marquee signing for them. They got they paid like 20-odd mil for him. Monaco still bid for him this summer. He's not just become a bad player overnight. He's just been playing in a bad system. Hasn't adapted the Prem again. It's kind of story of Mateta and Eduardo. He hasn't been given a run in the team. And I think that if he was to join, he would join in the number six role. Decore would move forward and play next to Eze. That would be my midfield prediction if, if he joined. My... Prediction number two for deadline day is that if Gallagher doesn't join, Sumare definitely will. There you go. There were murmurs of our from Leon. I don't think that's true. I think we're being used. I don't think that a player like that, not only in terms of his actual tactical profile, but also in terms of his like kind of dressing room profile, if you like, that's not happening. Prediction number three, that deal will not happen. Full stop. That's the one I'm most confident on. Obviously, the next two rumours, I mean, I'll go through them one by one. Wan-Bissaka, I, I think I said last pod I was confident that would happen. I'm less confident now. I think it sounds like United won't be able to replace him in time and they're not going to go into the season with Diogo Dallo as their only right back. Like That would just be suicide, particularly when Wan-Bissaka is not that much worse than him. Like, Dallow's hardly a standout performer. I also don't think that Wage-wise, it will work. I think that we don't need a right-back. I mean, which sounds crazy considering how much we have needed a right-back. But, you know, Ward and Klein are clearly doing okay between them. And there are more important positions to, to prioritise right now. I think we're not going to go ahead and break the bank for Wambasaka. If another right-back opportunity comes up where we can, you know, maybe pay a higher fee, lower wages, that might work. We haven't played Chris Richards there yet. Is that where he's going to be playing? Who knows? I mean, there's too much uncertainty around Wabasaka. There's too much money in that deal to make it happen. And we've got too much depth at right-back to prioritise it. So prediction number four for deadline day is Wabasaka will be staying at Man United and we will not sign him. I'm realising right now there's a very real prediction. I'm going to go over five on these predictions, but... I am going to save maybe the most exciting rumour for last. It's Mayla Saar, who, again, spoken about last week. He is obviously someone we really like. That's no secret. Um, there were kind of murmurings that the João Pedro to Newcastle deal would stop Saar leaving. That's now fallen through. Newcastle, it seems like they've gone and got uh, Alexander Isaac today for about 60 mil. Are they going to go and then spend 30 mil on Pedro? I'd be very surprised, but you never know. They have got a lot of money. Um, and that our Pedro left Saar would have to stay, but now Pedro isn't going. And then Saar was apparently going to Villa and they've they've now fallen out over personal terms, which is obviously very vague, whether that's wages, I doubt. It will probably be relegation structures. There's murmurings that he met Gerard and wasn't impressed, which is very damning, if true. Um and now again, it looks like he's more like to stay, even though they're not getting rid of anyone else other than Dennis. So there's lots of blah, 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 blah here and there with that. I think my prediction for the Saar deal is my conservative one is that, when well, I say conservative, I mean not outlandish. Don't twist my words. Um, 
my conservative prediction is that that will go to the wire and we have not heard the end of that rumour at all because we clearly like him a lot. But there's obviously lots of caveats to it. I mean, there's a chance next summer we could get him for cheaper. I mean, he'll have one less deal, one less year on his deal. Watford could still be in the championship. He could be pushing for a move more than he is now. Um, but all, and But also next summer, the problem is that we could be down a Zaha and or Elise, meaning we have way less negotiation power. And also, he might not be there. I mean, he's clearly a sought-after player. He's a very talented footballer who would be a good signing for a club like Palace or a Leicester or a West Ham or whoever. There's lots of things to kind of weigh up in that situation. Um, I think that we will get him if we don't have to overpay for him. I think if we can get him for, and again, a lot of this rests on Gallagher, I think there's a strong chance that we could get Gallagher. We're waiting for Gallagher news, right? I think we've got a kitty of money. We haven't spent masses this summer, right? We spent what, like 25 mil-ish, okay? Maybe a bit more, closer to 30. I'm pretty confident we've got more than that in the bank. And we're waiting. We're waiting to see if Conor Gallagher is available on a permanent and we want to have money available if he is. If he's only available for a loan, I can very much see us getting Gallagher on loan and buying Saar. That would represent an unbelievable window if that happens. Um, and I'm actually going to go ahead and predict that that is what will happen. So my prediction on deadline day, if Conor Gallagher leaves Chelsea on loan, he will join Palace. If he doesn't leave Chelsea on loan and signs on a permanent, he will not join Palace. If Conor Gallagher doesn't join Palace, we will get Bubakari Samari from Leicester. We will not sign Aaron Wambasaka from Man United unless something big changes and he's willing to make a massive cut on personal terms or United sign a right back. And if we sign Conor Gallagher on loan, we will sign Ismail Assar on a permanent deal. If we don't sign Conor Gallagher on loan, and we instead spend money on a central midfielder, we will not sign Ismail Assar. One take wonder? I think so. Anyway, that is it from my Striker Schlup and Signings podcast. That'll be the title. Came up with that just now. Love it. Thank you very much for listening. If you do not follow me on Twitter, please do or at TalkCPFC. Also, follow me on your podcast platforms. Like the podcast. Give me a rating. It really helps me out. And follow me on TikTok at Palace. I've had a lot of support on that which is really, really good. Um, so thank you for that. Appreciate it a lot. Um, once a week, this podcast will be now. I'm not going to overcommit to anything uh, every Wednesday or Thursday, this week, Thursday, uh, although I am going away next week. So maybe not next week, but we will see. Um, anyway, yeah, thanks very much for listening. Uh, Man City this weekend. I don't like to predict us to beat City ever. So fingers crossed we just don't get battered. Um, enjoy your weekend, enjoy your next few weeks and I will catch you guys on the next pod. Thank you.